What's up, beautiful people? This is Seymour Academy, the podcast, and I'm your host, Jamal Bogle. This is episode four, Education Talk. Um, before we dive into the more of that, I uh, just want to say that uh, I hope that you and your family are doing well at this time um, and that you are staying safe. Uh, definitely want to mask up, glove up when you are out uh, to protect yourself and your loved ones. Um, man, I, uh, it's crazy. Like, I, I had made... Um, it was a joke on uh, about coronavirus not affecting black people um, in the beginning. Like, it just didn't seem like, especially when it was over in Italy. Um, some of a joke, and it was just like, oh, man, it's good. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't touch us. We straight. But then, like, looking at it, once it, once it came over to America, like, the the, the virus itself, it's it's not racist or, or anti-racist. Like, it doesn't matter um, your ethnicity or level of melanin. Like, that doesn't determine the virus. But... Um, because of the plight that we have as black people in America, like that's we're impacted by it on um, on a different level in a different way. Like because of your color, like it impacts your level of exposure to it. Um, more more people of color, like uh, are jobs, they still have to commute to their jobs. Like their jobs are like blue collar jobs, so they're still going to work. They're still getting exposed to a lot of nurses, still having to be on there in the front line. So a lot of people. Um, that uh, just can't, don't have the luxury to work from home and have to commute and have to work. Definitely uh, getting more exposure to it. Um, and also it impacts your, your level of adis, uh, access to adequate health care. Um, so, yeah, it's just just a larger and another look at the, the effect of uh, system, uh, systemic racism. Can't speak. Uh, but, yeah, just a, a, larger, um, a, a larger view of uh, the effects of systemic racism. Uh, especially when you look at like Chicago's and other um, cities where, although it's like preliminary numbers and they're you know early right now, but it's a, a lot of um, a lot of blacks are are, are um, tripling or quadrupling or just way way more their their percentage of deaths to, uh, due to coronavirus is is higher way higher than their percentage of the population. And yes, I guess you could get into the, some of the theory. And I mean, it is true. I'm sure like a lot of these deaths right now may not all be related to coronavirus, but still like the the numbers itself are kind of daunting. Um, and it's kind of linking back to, to uh, pre-existing health issues like high blood pressure or diabetes or both. Um, I think that was one of the instances in Chicago that I talked about. And of course, we know as a community, as a black community, like that's, that's something that impacts us. So then it's just another plight, another thing. Um, another challenge that we have. So um, definitely want to stay safe. Definitely want to protect yourself. Definitely uh, in the long term too. Um, give you give you uh, hopefully more incentive to to eat better and take care of your body. Um, and a free plug for episode two G Body. Check that out. But um, yeah, man, stay safe. Uh, episode four. Um, this episode wanted to dive in some solutions uh, around education. Um, I say some solutions uh, because I don't think it's singular. Uh, the challenges that we face, we as black people, black our students, um, that we face in education isn't singular. So the, the cure or the solution wouldn't be singular either. Um, this system wasn't intentionally designed to empower us. Um, and just taking a minute, just take a step back uh, to give context. Uh, this is the reason why I've started the journey in establishing Seymour Academy SMA. Uh, the original vision for Seymour Academy was a school. Um, like when I first started teaching in 2006, I, I had an opportunity to meet um, Millard House, an uh, incredible dynamic educator. Uh, he's the founding KTC principal, Kip Tulsa College Prep. Shout out to Kip Tulsa. What's up with it? 
Um, and I just saw the work that he did in, in starting uh, KTCP and just had um, an opportunity to kind of hear his vision for it. And instantly I was like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to start I want to start a school, too. Um, and yeah, it was back then. It was just uh, this was like maybe 2013, 20. Uh, no, this is like 2007. Um, back then it was like a, it was a cool idea. Um, over time, I say by about 2013, 2014, uh, became more than just a cool idea. It became uh, a strong passion, almost like a necessity or urge within me. Like I, I, I have to do this. Um, I just kept seeing like over and over again, I'll be faced with, with the inequalities and inequities, uh, within education. Um, and I got to a point of, of just being tired to try to figure out like how to operate within the system. Um, I wanted to create a, a new system intentionally for us. Um, so yeah, about 2013 came back, came back to, came back home, why bubble, yeah, what's up with it? Um, and started just developing and refining the vision more of Seymour Academy. Um, and it's finally got to a place where it is now, like, uh, the vision is, is more than a school, like, uh, Seymour Academy at its core is established to intentionally empower black students as well as black teachers and leaders. Um, so it shifted to, to being, uh, from being a school to be uh, a partnership with schools. Um, looking at it like that, like an organization, a business that, that partners with schools, uh, but this also leaves room also for, for non-traditional learning opportunities that um, presently don't take place or can't take place in schools uh, because the priority is still st- uh, centered around achievement on standardized testing. Um, so, yeah, that's why I wanted to, to uh, just it, it went outside of the, the walls of a school. When I looked at the vision, where I really refined. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to establish. This is what I want to have with Seymour Academy. It went beyond a school. Um, so, for example, like uh, this podcast, just imagine um, students or young adults interested in media communications, um, having an opportunity to de- to develop their craft, uh, to to lock in their passion through this podcast uh, and or like a YouTube channel. Um, like I'm all about cutting the fat from from the curriculum and, and providing authentic learning experiences as well as uh, providing economic opportunities as much as possible on the way. So it's like this is something that can be a foundation that can be used later on. Um you look at something like I do the book of the month, uh, the book of the month right now, and you fast forward that to like book clubs being facilitated by students and young adults, um, writing clubs, uh, all those things. This is like just the beginning of it. So, um, yeah, authentic learning opportunities is something I want to provide. Um, and for for the educators that may be listening, like this, it, almost in a similar, uh, it would be similar to like the the epitome of uh, um, like a high level project based learning. Um, is something that I want to establish. Like I said, it could be done um, partnering with schools. So what that looks like uh, when Seymour Academy partners with the school and, and on the outside, what does those learning opportunities look like that may not be able to happen within a school, but just getting opportunity to do with outside of school. So uh, yeah, that's a kind of a kind of a back look or a brief high level overview of the vision of Seymour Academy. Um, not going to give everything out right now, but uh, stay with me, rock out with me on this journey, on this SMA journey, and uh, you'll definitely see. Uh, but in the meantime, about to dive into this conversation with my, my homie, my good friend Arnold Ford. Uh, me and Arnold go way back, man, since like, uh, what, 95, 96? Yeah, 95. Whew. My guy, man, a fellow educator, uh, we dive into some solutions around curriculum and instruction, as well as teacher evaluation and development. Uh, so without further ado, listen up. Now, you know, with my organization, they're used to telling you, like, exactly what to teach. Like, right. Oh, God. Now it's like, all right, be more flexible. Like you have to teach this content, but we're not asking teachers to teach nothing new. And I said, yeah, I, nah. I'm like, 
yo, we're not getting into no new content. We're not getting into no end of the year, last marking period. Like, we're not doing that. Um, right, right, right. We're not doing that. Like, my whole thing was just like, we're, we're putting a big emphasis on the, the process of grading and like the emphasis of grading rather than like the real goal is keeping kid invested in their learning. Yeah. Grade that to make that happen. You can't force learning. You can't force kids that don't want to or like resources, like straight up. They like the necessary resources to do it. Like a lot of our kids are doing it like on their phone. A lot of them don't have laptops. We haven't distributed laptops yet. Right. So it's like, yo, like you're doing this on your phone. Like I'm not even, yeah. Yeah. Do yeah. your best, get your feedback, chalk it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stressing over this junk. Not my 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 crazy organization is even going as far as like, okay, so now when teachers are holding their Zoom classrooms, APs, are y'all gonna go in and like observe? I'm like, you got to be out your mind, dog. I've seen that. Are you out of your mind? Like, am I observing to give them feedback or am I just observing to just do a yeah, check? Yeah, they talk about how, the, how a teacher's going to get feedback on their online instruction. I said, <laughs> get out my face, dog. Right. Yo, miss me with all that shit. <laughs> miss me, please. This is crazy. I mean, it's, it's, it's good because it exposes some things, but like... At the same time, the effort, we're focusing on the wrong things. Like I do a credit, like we we are making like phone calls to students like weekly. Like yeah. we have to have um, like an actual touch point with the student or their family, like a phone conversation something like that. So I like those things, like, yeah, just checking in with the kids, make sure everything's cool, access mm -hmm. to food, they have their yeah. essentials. Like that. that's that's what's most important right now. Like the, the traditional learning uh how things are going like all that is being exposed is, is kind of like worthless that's but like yeah that's where i'm at right now like what are the what are the essentials to to the academic side of education um yeah because yeah. like we we see that like state assessments right now i like they're they're useless they're pointless like what's the point it's all that like you say all that's being canceled anyway so it just exposed like there's really I don't know. I don't. I don't believe in the value. I have a strong disdain for for the value of how we currently assess kids for for each state. Like, it's no point. I mean, I get and I can. I guess I tolerate the ACT SAT because that's the the entrance to to um, college or whatever. And that's a whole nother topic. But as far as like high level testing or high stakes testing, like, what's the point of a state test? I mean, but it all for real, for real. SAT. That's that's really like the mother of it all. For real, for real. Right. That, that everything like stem right from that you know what i'm saying horace man back back in yeah. 1800 everything stemmed right from that that was like the first brainchild of you know what i'm saying modern state testing as we know it um and the thing about it is ma it was never meant to measure achievement right it was meant to measure ability and people don't really understand the difference between measuring achievement and measuring ability two right. very things because achievement i'm saying ability is about your capacity yep but achievement a lot of times is just about your access yep yep why you that's why there's so many you know what i'm saying sats and all these standardized tests it exposes socioeconomic disadvantages because mm -hmm. you can have a, a pretty well-off suburban white kid who just has the access to get all this extra private tutoring and test prep they will <laughs> Kill the SAT. Right, right. Uh, you have someone who has much more capacity, much mm -hmm. more 
actually gifted and smart who will not score as much because they don't have that access. Right. So that's how it got flipped and turned on its head. And now it just pervasively exposes everything, all the socioeconomic disadvantages that exist in our system. And that's why I'm with you. I'm just like, man, it's nonsense. Right, right. Yeah, so that's why I wanted to hop on, like, just really, uh, it just took me to the place, like, okay, like, if, if, if we can make changes, like, if we can make changes in um, curriculum, if we can make changes in policy, um, like, what would those things look like? Like, for me, um, obviously testing, like, <laughs> if, mm-hmm. I, if I can make a, a policy change, like, testing is, is it, like, what are, what are some things that you, I guess, um, what would you rather, I guess, with changes or what are your thoughts around? Well, yeah, we talked about the testing. But like, what are your thoughts around? Like, what would we change? Like, what we're actually doing if we could change something? Yeah, I, I'm not even, I'm not even saying that I'm necessarily opposed to standardized testing. I'm opposed as to how it's used as a tool. I'm mm-hmm. opposed to the way that it's used, right? Mm-hmm. But given the way that it is used, because at the end of the day. I heard somebody say something once, like if you, I say it all the time, if you want a pig to get fat, right, you don't just weigh the pig every day. What do you do if you want a pig to get fat? You, you feed him. You know what I'm saying? You don't weigh, you don't weigh them you <laughs> a thousand times. That's not gonna make, the, that's not gonna give you the result that you're looking for. You feed the pig. So the way that these standardized testing, tests are used, yeah. If you put me in charge of some policy, we're taking that out. But we have to c- come up with a way to evaluate schools holistically, mm-hmm. ethically as well. So what I would say is you come up with peer groups. You mm. come up with peer groups that of other schools that are in similar demographics, similar neighborhood. Yeah, and you, gotcha. And you evaluate one another and you together, y'all come up with a rubric. You got to define what success looks like. It has to have an academic component. It has, has a cultural component. It has to have a family component. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to have like a building component. What does the building look like? You know what I'm saying? Like all mm-hmm. of these can be in place as a peer group. You decide, look, how do we want our schools to look, to feel? You have to involve parents in the peer group. You have to have to involve kids in the peer group. Mm-hmm. And y'all all come to the table. And at the end of every year or at the beginning of every year, you evaluate, yo, how do we do? Mm-hmm. And that's how your score. So your score, we're now looking at each other uh, ethically and holistically rather than taking this one metric and then using that to Right, to evaluate the school as a whole. Yeah, um, academic is definitely, even if you do look at the academic side of things it would i would i would weigh more to the the the, the growth rather than the uh, the achievement side of like oh 100 yeah. percent. i mean i'm just getting um just within the past year or two um kind of well versed in, in in map testing yeah just wanted to provide some context i hate when um educators or other people just start using all these acronyms i have no idea uh, map if you don't know what it is it's measurements of academic progress um, typically used in charter schools. Uh, some of your uh, district schools used it as well. Um, but it's in addition to the state testing. I, I do like it. it. It puts a tendency to measure uh, academic growth rather than academic achievement. So how, how far a student has come along within a year. Uh, you can use it over time through the course of middle school. Uh, but it's typically a K-8 assessment. Um, so yeah, that's what it is. Just in terms of how you can see and measure growth over time, in relationship to the to the to the nation, um, I think that that could be an effective 
tool. I, I will be careful with how you implement it, but I think it could be a really effective tool. Mm -hmm. And then, and then uh, something else as far as policy, I think that we have so many metrics and so many things to hold accountable, but we don't have as many things to hold teachers accountable. So if you choose to do this work, there needs to be some work outside the classroom that we contribute to the work. Like maybe it is, it, maybe it's not multiple times a year, maybe it's one times a year, but you have to read something and produce, mm -hmm. uh, you have to produce something based on your study of the work, mm -hmm. right? That has to be like required. So I would actually make that policy um, and I'll put people's certificates on Like, listen, this is required to keep your certificate. Um, yeah. And then, the, the the role of the, the role of the family. Yeah. Um, to be hold that. Hold, I'm gonna say hold that thought on policy because I'm definitely want. I, that's I want to rewind and definitely want to get to that. Like what policy changes we would make. Um, okay. So we definitely would take out like testing. We agree or at least re reevaluate how we're um, ev evaluating our schools and like what, yeah, what as, as it is now. Take it out. <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. Take that joint all the way out. What about like um? And we talked about this a lot of times, but uh. What, the what and how we teach like when i think about this um like what we're currently teaching i believe i've taught math and from a math standpoint like it's it's a, it's an antiquated thing like we're still teaching algebra 2 we're still teaching um mm -hmm. these these things that right now aren't applicable to right now so like when i think about like if there was a change that i want to make within the curriculum um because then i think if you change obviously if you change what's what's being assessed you're going to change um it's going to impact what and how you teach because you, mm -hmm. you have more flexibility around that so like mm -hmm. what we should teach like we should be teaching things that are applicable for today like math doesn't look the same today as it did back in you know the 50s when we first sure. started out or even before then something like math is like major killer robotics your your personal finance the business uh business finance wealth management like stats analytical like analytics in a sense of the practical way of those things like basic arithmetic things that are like applicable in real life those should be the things that are standard across um all schools like that should be the common core of the math i'm sure there's some things that i may be missing but like those type of things should be rather than taking this bulk of oh, all of algebra one and all these kids across the nation need to learn all these things with algebra one like for what though it's not you're, right. you're losing so much interest um and just time really because like it's it's not applicable to real life uh but just thinking about that like what would you change i guess on the on the what side before we get to the how like what would you change on the what side of man you listen 95 percent of what of what i what i have you you just said it i said from the gate you got you got to start with econ mm -hmm. um, you, you got to start with economics and that yeah that can absolutely go into wealth management message uh debt management yep. um you you, you got to teach that um I would absolutely, I'm talking starting as early as elementary school, you gotta have courses on coding. Yeah. You gotta have, I mean, Coding and robotics, yeah. Funny, like it's 2020, and the first time most of our students are being even exposed to the opportunity to do that is when they go to college and that's sick. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, so you gotta have coding. Um, I would actually have courses on health, health and nutrition. Message not just the health courses that you know we we took when we was in school nah <laughs> i'm talking i'm talking about like straight up project-based uh health classes health especially dealing with diet um like actually growing food actually yeah. making food agriculture food. Like, yeah like all of it like the whole 
Yeah. Yeah, we, we seeing right now how valuable that could be. Man. Right. right now how valuable that can be and then finally um i do think that there would as far as the what there would need to be some sort of sociology um mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. Or aspect of of how we interact and engage not just individuals but holistically as mm-hmm. groups Mm-hmm. that shifts people's worldview when they really have an understanding of how groups of people interact and engage with one another both within the group and with members of other groups i think that that's um, critically important both for the student and for the teacher yeah i think that expands to like over like if you look at the spectrum of k-12 like that you start with the smaller circle like who who that per like being black in you know the county or being black in this part of Philly or whatever maybe like you start with that smoke like what is that sociology group what are the the customs and the things like you learn that and then you expand to give them a broader culture so by the time they're senior they've experienced like the the sociology of a world as a whole um so definitely that that piece I thought too like on the the ELA side I guess or the humanity sides of um the the communications in a sense of uh, reading writing and speaking like that's not going anywhere um mm-hmm. like reading well literature and and then that goes into a little bit of the that uh well actually what like it should be more black literature um within the things yes. that we're reading it should be more black uh, resources that we're black authors and black perspectives that that we're, we're taking this information from um the writing pieces like writing is, is definitely i think is is the that gateway between between the the, the reading and the, and the speaking piece and it's critically important like you said for for the writing piece like that that really shows what what kids are thinking and they're putting that but just writing in different different ways um and meaningful things i think um debate like we need to get debate back um also think like uh, political science like the basic political science understanding i think that's more from a, a selfish like empowerment black empowerment like we have to understand like the game that's being played legally and and, and what is our role and responsibility as citizens to really to, to impact things in real life you have to change policy like that's yeah. really going to get something so like what is a basic understanding of political science. If we, I think, if we knew that in greater scale, like Trump would never got in because, like, we we just didn't vote. We just assumed like, I ain't nobody voting for him. Right. Right, slid up in there. So it's um, like yeah. understanding. If we could have got, if we could have got a hold of it or like the gerrymandering that was going on, or that like the recoding of the or the restructuring of the lines, district lines, and things like that. We were aware of those things in that process. We're like, oh, whoa, we would have flagged it or at least made mm-hmm. more noise so we could prevent things. But just knowing like a basic political science overview, especially. With, by the time you're 18, you're, you're voting anyway, so that shouldn't be your first experience when you're wearing a high school. But yeah, yeah for sure. And, and I think uh, well, all the ELA and humanities work that you were just speaking of, I think that that goes like you can't do one thing without the other. So right. talking about this sociology work and how groups identify one another, I'm just thinking in my mind how that's such an e- that's like low hanging fruit, like because mm-hmm. you can even start it. Like even I remember growing up in elementary school. We had like pride in our class. Oh, I'm in this, you know, mm-hmm. class. No, mm-hmm. my class. You know what I'm saying? And then you had a little pride in your grade, and yeah. then and then your school. And like those are just really easy, low hanging fruit things to say. So then you flip that and you say, okay, we're not just going to give you these texts that are by black authors just because. Mm-hmm. No, give it to you in context. Like, mm-hmm. why is this text? Like, why is it important that a black author wrote this on this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or you show the different narratives, like you, you show like traditional what it may be taught, like from a, a white mindset, European, but then you have to. It's the black narrative, like you have to. Yeah, especially when they make that we call it the the JK jump, right? Especially when they make that leap from learning to read to reading to learn, having mm-hmm. to learn third grade, right? Mm-hmm. 
man, they, they, they have the language, like they have the capacity now to really digest that stuff. And we kind of like hold it off. I think a lot of schools do are starting to do better jobs of exposing kids to black authors. We still need to do more, but they don't mm-hmm. have the context right. to dive into that conversation as to, okay, why, what does this mean? You know, right. Showing you this perspective and what's the difference. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. What about like uh, the how, the how you're actually teaching out? Because once again, it's a chain of events. Like you change the testing, you change the what. I think like for the how, like I've always said, um, especially when I'm talking about like Seymour Academy, like making everything authentic as possible. Like the project-based learning that you're talking about. Like if we look at right now, we can, kids can be doing like presentations of the economic impact of Corona and black Americans and like the different obstacles, like just really doing an in-depth thing. But like, that's something that's applicable to now. You're not just taking a piece of uh, sociology or current events or world studies or whatever it may be. You're, you're linking in the math, you're linking in the writing piece. So you're linking all these things together, but it's authentic piece. Like instead of me just, um, writing an essay, like I'm writing, I'm making a blog, or I'm starting a blog and I'm engaging a dialogue and I'm maybe putting some tweets out there and making things public, but whatever it is, it's not, I'm just writing on this, whatever subject to, to, to satisfy this standard. It's like, no, I'm doing this to produce something that's authentic and meaningful to real life right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like, what do you, what do you, what are some things that, um, that you would change or that you would look into like of the, how we're actually teaching? I love project-based learning i've seen it done very poorly mm-hmm. i've seen pro I, you know i've seen project-based learning done where students are year-long working on an end of year project and this is the thing that you're going to need to be promoted and then they stand there at seven eight nine months of learning with a, a trifold board <laughs> god damn god damn right and it's just like right you did this over the weekend as a matter of fact you did do it you did (laughs) so right i've seen it done really poorly um i've also seen glimpses of it done really well in my mind this Mm -hmm. is the how the how is you have to ask every single individual from the student to the teacher to the parent to the administrator what is going to be your contribution to the world this year What is your, what are you contributing to the world? Because at the end of the day, that's like the, taking it back standardized testing for a minute, the reason why it started growing like after World War One is because they put standardized testing or they put these intelligence tests in the army so that they could separate soldiers by their uh, intellect. And they put certain groups by their intellect. And then that came to schools because they wanted to know how is education producing workers? Mm-hmm. How is the school system going to produce a worker? And really, that's what the educational system has dumbed itself down to, yeah. is somebody who can go and work for somebody else. New slaves, yeah. Yeah, so at the end of the day, we got to shift that, and we really have to start asking ourselves, we need education to produce people who are contributing positively to the world. Mm-hmm. Right? Various different fields, mm-hmm. but how are you, what are you contributing to the world? Once you have that, then the how I think is going to be not so much on an individual basis, but it can't it can't be one size fits all. No, 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 absolutely not. One contribution, project base is going to be the way. For another, it's going to have to be, you know, it, it, maybe, maybe it is some form of a test. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You actually have to have certain skill in order to prove yourself, in order for you to make this contribution to the world. So maybe according to your track or according to what you're saying, you want to contribute to the world, it just has to be 
be assessed differently. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, I wanna, yeah, just personally just minimizing standardized testing. Like there, there are instances where, where, where proficiency or accuracy is definitely important. I think about like with the basketball, like you're, you're those are your, like your fundamentals. Like, yes, there should be assessments of basic multiplication or arithmetic and stuff like that. But like, as you get into the, by the time you're a senior, by the time you're in high school, really, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't I'm, see. Yeah, I'm, see, I was talking more from the perspective of like, let's talk about if we're talking early childhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, project based is going to be great, but my man, there are certain, yeah. there are certain yeah. conventions yeah. of the language that we got to make sure that we have. Yes. If your contribution to the world is going to be this, then we have to start here. Right. Work up to that. So that's what I'm saying. So the how, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I have a, a one answer for it. Yes, project based. Um, I just think that it should be something that doesn't just live inside of the school. Right. Education cannot just live inside of the school. And as we're seeing now, education can't just be in the hands of the classroom teacher. I think right. the teacher has to be a facilitator. Yes. If all of your communication is between teacher and student, then we're doing it wrong. It has mm -hmm. to be to student, to front staff, to parent, mm -hmm. to uncle, you know what I'm saying? To basketball coach, to football, you know what I'm saying? We all gotta be in this melting pot in some kind of way. Whatever the how is, it has to include all the stakeholders. Everybody yeah. gotta be involved. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for me, it's just the, the, the main idea for the how is making a shift to making it more authentic as possible of the, if it is project-based learning and you're doing a presentation at the end, making an authentic presentation, like you're doing a PowerPoint or you're doing some type of real presentation other than some trifle, like who uses trifles anymore? Like, why are we still accepting those oh, things? And I, I get like the limited amount of resources, <laughs> but like, bro, like that's pointless. Like kids have access. They could even do the TikTok, John. Like they could, like there's so many things out there that they can definitely do, do a more authentic uh, presentation. Um, but the yeah. thing for me is just like that the how needs to shift to like how are we teaching how are we giving these learning experiences like are they in a classroom 24 7 like what are the hands-on things that they're actually doing um, the, just sitting down for you know blocks of time whether it's your 50 minute classes or your 90 minute classes like that's it's not gonna work as adults you know we don't even like sitting down like the, the stuff that we're doing now having to stay at home and all these zoom conferences like yo, i'm driving i'm, I'm going crazy like Absolutely. i don't wanna keep doing it so like also that uh, what we're putting in front, but also just like how we're actually delivering content, um, like instructing. Uh, yeah. And to, to your point, to your point, even with project-based stuff, when I've seen it done poorly, a lot of it, like even if you're talking about like history, a lot of it was done like presenting on things that already are fixed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. On something that was, and I'm going to tell you this, and it's like, dog, I can go to, you know what I'm saying, Google and get everything that you're telling me. Yep. But when it becomes really authentic and, and pertinent and, and like relevant right now, you take that and you point towards the future. You're presenting mm -hmm. something that isn't yet. You know, not something that is, but something that is yet to be and in the path towards that. So um, I don't know if you're talking about, you know, urban planning or urban development, mm -hmm. gentrification, mm -hmm. you're like mm -hmm. this whole project-based learning around that. Could go so many different directions with that. Exactly. But exactly. then at the end, your project-based learning 
you can you can you can do it in your own neighborhood. You can, That's what I'm saying. You get out and get those experiences. Like it's not yes. just in a classroom. Like yo, you're part of your homework. Just talking and talking to people within your community, or or maybe pulling together um, community leaders or just people uh, right know, in the community, having them come to classroom or hopping on a Zoom or just whatever it may be. But you have that now. That student has that contact and those touch points. And like you're the how you're doing is preparing them for the questions and preparing them for what they're trying to extract through this 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 conversation with this either um, this community leader or this local official and like th that that's where the real authentic learning is taking place not like can you write the sentence and can you respond to this and can exactly. you state these facts and copy and paste but no like the question now, we could ask, now is now you're really getting into authentic learning i think that's the the direction that that i think that will truly empower us because right now we're just we're just doing things that we we know don't work <laughs> and yeah. we're banging our heads and trying to figure out a way to make it work when it's like yo like this type of learning this style of education has long surpassed this generation and more here's the why like we got the what we've more or less got the how here's the why because if you got a kid who's doing the project and they're doing something that already was and they just getting it off and going they writing the investment is not there nah if it's relevant to them dog they become a lover of yes literature. Yes. a lover of learning yes. they become a lover of people yes like when you really are authentically engaged with learning your love for people increases mm -hmm. know what it is but when you really engage in learning in the way that i see it your love for people is going to increase um, your love for your surroundings your responsibility your ownership over mm -hmm. your increases so why you know what i'm saying because it, it's needed and the, the that experience the whole process of it sticks like that's a forged memory that you have in your mind that's what learning is like remembering those things and just remembering those experiences and moments and that stuff will stick way way longer than just trying to memorize something for this test tomorrow. absolutely absolutely <laughs> all right cool um okay now i'm kind of getting into like policy so thinking about I know I gave you this question, like what are one or two changes that you would have? And we'll just do it piece by piece, but it's policy, curriculum, discipline, and then teacher evaluation and development. So thinking about um, what one or two changes would you make in policy? Policy, um, we, we kind of already talked about it um, with the, the eradication or doing away of standardized testing um, as is. Um, again, I, I'm not one that says, you know, all testing is bad, but the way that it's being used is oppressive. Um, it's damaging. Um, it's not even doing what the original intent was. As a matter of fact, it's doing the opposite. It's just exposing socioeconomic disadvantages. We need to just take it out. Um, and we're seeing now, I had a conversation with my team before we were dismissed for this COVID uh, uh, social distancing. <laughs> I, we were in a meeting, every single literacy teacher from third to, through sixth grade. And I said, if there was no such thing as state testing, would your approach have been different this year? Would your approach to how you taught your class, would it have been different if there was no such thing as state testing? And every single teacher in that room raised their hand and said, absolutely yes. I bet. That to me is insane. Yeah. That's crazy because in your heart, a good teacher knows where they should be teaching from and how. Mm -hmm instructing students but because we're measured by this thing mm -hmm. changes the entire way that we educate our babies it's unnecessary pressure and unnecessary focus You're focusing yeah. on so, all things yeah i would do away with it um like i said i would actually make it put it in policy um that schools are evaluated by peer groups um i think that that's something that would be um 
game changing. Um, and I think that it would be, it would be equi- more equitable, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that it, it would involve families and parents more in the process of saying, this is our school, like this, mm-hmm. this is ours. You know what I'm saying? This school don't belong to the principal, don't belong to the teacher. This this is ours, like we, we, we own this together. So um, I think that that would be something that I'll put in place. Yeah, I, I looked at it um, for my policy changes, like the money. Like in my mind, I was like, all right, if we take mm-hmm. away state testing, like what other things could go from there? Like uh, the one thing I like vouchers, like vouchers should be nationwide, countywide, whatever it may be. Like vouchers being that the money follows the student. Like if the, the state, the federal give, they give money to the district, the school district then distributes it out to whether it's a charter school or whatever it may be, but then you exclude like private schools. Like I believe that vouchers, the, the voucher system of like, if this child attends the school, they that's where the money goes. Um, so that's one thing I definitely would um, implement. So, that, so are you saying that that would effectively do away with the private education sector? It wouldn't do away with the private education sector. It would actually strengthen the private education sector because now they're receiving federal dollars. It would, But would it strengthen it inequitably? Um, yes, you're going to probably increase more white kids going into to private schools and those inequities as well. But I think you're still, but then too, like the creation of like a Seymour or creation of, of more black private schools would, I think would be challenged to be emerging of like, boom, now you're getting this money and you can do your own thing within this private sector. Um, as long as you stay accredited, it's like, cool, you'll get your money. So I think I was looking at it from that point of now you can have more black centered private schools. Yeah, that's game changing. That's 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 all the way game changing, and I will be a hundred percent. But the, the the one thing that you and I both know, you getting them federal dollars, when you getting them state dollars, they like to put a whole bunch of red. They like to they like to control what you do, and that's, and that's the that's the piece of the policy of like you. Yeah, you have to change like now. You have to change like how they evaluate it, so that money can't be taken away. Yeah, that's the second piece. Like, how are you really um, evaluating schools to show success? Like, you you, yep. you allow vouchers, but also you change the how are schools being evaluated um, mm-hmm. to 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 really show that they are successful. Those so the dollars continue to come. Yeah, that was, that was, yeah. Mm. All right, what about um, what about what we talked about a little bit? Well, what about uh, what curriculum changes would you make? <clears throat> um. Yeah, again, I think that there are there are certain things in the curriculum, and I think it changes when you talk about early ed, you talk about middle school, you talk about high school. Like the answer would differ. Mm-hmm. It would it differ would. based on what we're talking about. But if I was to focus, let's say, because I've taught in literally all three of those groups. But if we're talking high school, um, you know, I just feel like we put a lot of expectations on students to take these classes that again, they're not relevant to their lived experience, what they want out of life, you know? And, and it's it's like, why? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> why? But there are certain universal things that no matter what career you choose, you have to know. You gotta know how to manage debt. You have to know how to manage wealth, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? You have to have access to, you know, what you're eating in, 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 in the diet and agriculture. You have to be exposed. These are things that from the muscle, I had to learn as an adult. Right. On the job training and I, right. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. You know, 
almost repossessions, almost evictions, yep. and had yep. had this context. And this is, I'm talking about somebody, I grew up with two two parents, they both yep. had, I'm saying they had it, but it, it wasn't given to me in, in an educational way, like at school. So mm-hmm. we have to, econ, um, yep. diet, and, and, and I, I truly do believe that some form of uh, sociology, um, relationship building, um, that has to be included at, at every single level, at every single level. I'm talking about starting in kindergarten, first grade. There's a way to expose students to debt management, wealth management. Period. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, same. I think I was like replacing and updating the, the entire curriculum. Like what's what are what are the things that are required and then those things that are above like electives, but also to like um, it kind of, I guess, curriculum and it kind of impacts policy kind of cheating a little bit but um the giving i was thinking about as a high school like giving so i think from k through about eighth grade like there's some that's your foundational things like yes in middle school they're they're getting a little bit more developed to some things that they may like some specialties but Mm -hmm. by high school for sure like allowing high schools to have like their i think it was like tulsa i did like magnet school so you had like um their your stem school and you had like Mm -hmm. your school of like hotel management or restaurant like whatever may performing arts like whatever your specialty is but i think allowing high school to select their curriculum based on their specialty so like if i'm at a if i'm at a communication school my my sciences like that's that's there's general science like yes you should learn basic things about your body and and yeah. like biology things, but it's not like i'm going into great depth in biology mm-hmm. like my focus is on communications or performing arts or whatever that focus is like those are all the branches and things that come so almost like high school is like a mini college in the sense of like what is that specialty that this high school is and like really just focusing and dumping all of your resources into those things and not a like all my all, all those kids at a performing arts school may not take a you know a chemistry test for a state test like they shouldn't have to but that's that's, that's not their thing but their thing is this piece right here so that's what they should be assessed on and that's how they should um show their measurements of, of achievement and growth uh, but just allowing um high schools to have their own specialty i think yes and if it's done the thing about that model is i think that that, that model only works with a strong K through eight program. Yes. Why? Yes. The reason why is if a kid has not had access to something, at least a bare minimum understanding of a thing, they don't know that they're interested in that thing. Yeah. And know I was interested in chemistry until I took a chemistry class and I was like, yo, this mm-hmm. is interesting. You know what I'm saying? I could have really honed in on that, but you know, it, it's about access and it's about exposure. I think mm-hmm. that that's thing like see more like I want I want to sh- let me show you this thing. Right. right. With the thing, let me show this to you. Right. And then now the ball's in your court. Right. So done really well, K through eight. Then yeah, we can have those things when we get to high school. The problem has been we've had such poor childhood. We got kids Foundations, who are showing up to ninth, tenth, eleventh grade who barely know how to decode. They barely know sight words. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like, yeah, I want to hone in on what you're what you're good at. And also, we, we, we got to get, you know what I'm saying, we got to get these this S&P score up or these double, like, you know right. what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, definitely for sure. Um, discipline, I don't even know why I threw that in. It's just like a hot topic. Like, what would you, what are some things in, in, in discipline? Yo, I don't know if this was you. I don't know if it was you. I don't know if it was Doc. I don't know who whose tagline it was. 
we don't enroll kids, we enroll families. That was Doc, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, we don't, like, going from the mindset of we're enrolling a we're enrolling a family. So mm-hmm. that goes from celebrating, that goes, from, and that also goes to accountability. Like, we have to, have to put policy in place where all of us collectively are responsible for, for the decision, including the kid, the kid first, but then all of us are collectively responsible for the accountability of this child. Right. Now that's going to look different based on the child's situation. Yep. You know what I'm saying? That's going to look very different based on the child's situation, but it should not be the child, especially early on, should not be the only one being held accountable for a bad decision. Right. No, remember the, uh, <laughs> remember the kid we had at, um, at Prim would just go running, go hide, and go missing. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't yeah. have the same, I guess, line of discipline. For, I was for children like I that. I was just talking yeah. to little man's aunt the other day. For real. <laughs> yeah. Yo, that guy kept us on our toes. But um, yeah. For for this one, um, I went the route of uh, allowing um more non-traditional schoolings to be able to focus on like social and emotional healing like i think a lot of like a lot of challenges may happen especially in like the middle schools um just that's a that's a socially tough time and then like you you're already dealing with things that, like some kids just socially emotionally just aren't ready to be in a learning like a traditional learning space like that so just providing opportunities where you have these schools that can really hone in and, and focus on the social emotional healing uh, for that child. It could be like for a one year program or it could be like an entire middle school or whatever it may be, but just allowing, just thinking about like, if this child has shown over and over again that they're getting in, they're having those challenges in this traditional setting, like allowing the creation. Of, and that, cause like when you think of alternative schools, like you think of like real strict and real blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't think it has to be that way. I think that you're really, those, they should be given the opportunity to say like, okay, we're gonna put academics on pause. Not that we're not getting any academics in, we're gonna put that our greatest thing right now is like these kids are hurting. Uh, they need some social emotional healing. So that's our priority rather than that. And it's not like that. I think it's gonna be, uh, I guess, uh, differentiated. It's not like I said, a one size fits all within the, the alternative school, but it definitely should be more options to like what alternative programs should look like. Um, that are non-traditional that I still can support families and, and kids. Yeah, I think that discipline, I think that discipline has been way too reactive. I agree with everything you yeah, just said. Definitely reactive. Way too reactive and not proactive enough. I think that we have done a piss poor job of having trauma-informed approaches from our staff and our students. Um, we bring teachers, both black and white, into spaces um, with kids who are dealing with things that we have not dealt with and we have not been trained to respond, right? So then when a, when a child reacts, then our reaction is so misguided and misplaced and the action does further damage because we haven't been trained. And I right. think some of the most well-intended educators do more damage because they have a sit down and shut up mentality. That's <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? That's not gonna work. So we, we really gotta lean into trauma-informed approaches, not just for, to admit alternative schools, but yo, that has to be a way of life because even those who have not endured extreme trauma we all got our stuff you know what i'm saying and we all things and social emotional learning and intelligence has to be a part woven in to the culture of every single school that we allow our kids to go into yeah i mean i'm adding one to the uh, so the next one was uh teacher evaluation and development um yeah what you read 
<laughs> what right. did you read? Facts, facts, facts. What did you read? Let's have a conversation about it. You write me a little something about it. Um, let's co-evaluate peer evaluation groups, book discuss. Like in all seriousness, we have to push ourselves to continue to grow because the best teacher in the world has so much more growing to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much more growing to do, man. I don't care how good and thorough a teacher is. I don't care what the data says. There's so much more growing to do. And that's the beauty of this profession. Nah, for sure. I definitely agree. All of that. Um, I think I went a bit like a different way. Like I was looking at just from my experiences recently, like on the leadership. So like, I definitely think that like for the first two years, like you need a co-teacher like i don't know what policy mm-hmm. what financial things you need to turn around like change like wow. years as an educator you should not be in a classroom by yourself with wow. a you're you, unless you're like uh uh, uh no uh, unless no i like it no, no i'm saying unless. like unless you're like as a uh you a michael jordan lebron james like you are you are you're a rookie, like you just coming in, a rookie in the vet. Like even no. then there's things that you need to learn. So I think for your first two years, like whatever oh. budget needs to be changed, like you should have, you should not be in a classroom by yourself. You should be a coach. Now, obviously like the second year it tailors off, but like that first year, like you, yeah, nah, you shouldn't be in no class mm. by yourself. Um, Game changing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like they did it like in, in some schools, I know uh, some schools in New York, like they had the money. I know at least in elementary schools, like they had the budget for it. Um, but I think whatever you need to change, like, man, you need to dump more money and you, you can't have a first and second year teacher in a classroom by themselves, especially in, in if, if, if everything else did the same and nothing else changes like that, I think will have a huge impact for to your longevity because you won't yes. burn like you won't have people quitting probably in the middle of the year, first year teacher or second year teachers uh ready to quit or be done or like they get this 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 gruntled perspective of what yep. educated education is like that's so damaging like having just just learning that and just seeing that in reality like yes there may be some mindset things but if you can connect them with a, a solid vet um i think that those mindsets may be have the potential to shift and uh, the ones that are so the ones that also have they have the mindset already uh, but now that skill set, now they have the the comfortability of I can make an error and it's not throwing everything off because I have my veteran co-teacher with me um, to mm. support me through that. So I'm, I'm not I'm not as scared mm. to risk, but I'm still building up my skill, like on the spot skill building right there. Um, I, I love it. I also think that every administrator in the building, either for a marking period or for one period of day or whatever, you need to remain connected to the work. You need to teach a class. That's my second one. Like I would restructure, um, like you would create, like instead of, you create leaders in a classroom. Like that's 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 your highest part. Like you you becoming a master teacher is like the highest thing because yeah. as a master teacher, you can still lead. So like just restructuring, like for example, like if instead of me being this, um, dean of math or instructional coach for math like i am uh the math department chair so i'm the master teacher i just like department chair math just department chair master teacher and whatever other hierarchies you want to have but like even as a department chair or the highest math person in the building or whatever it may be um i'm still teaching a class i may teach less classes mm-hmm. but i'm still teaching a class i'm teaching a class at least once or twice like through the through the entire year like you should have to do that um, like you say, no one's above the process and it just keeps things current. Like I think a lot of times 
you can fall into a trap as an as a administrator of forgetting what it's like to be a teacher and then you you can lose the the value of learning on the spot and really changing some things up in the moment like it's different when you're if i'm dean bogle coming into a classroom um then the response is different kids are going to respond different but if i'm your classroom teacher like oh no like that's right that's right like now i'm getting authentic things like oh that stuff that I was teaching PD, that shit actually yeah. don't work right now. Come on. I need to use this around and like, oh, I need that. So like those skill sets and being honest with the stuff that you're delivering for the development teacher stays fresh and stays new, stays like authentic. But two, like, uh, not two, but uh, the third was like, you said it too, like the cultural piece of, of what, cultural competency should be like that that has to be a stable like you ha you should have to go through a course of understanding your implicit and explicit biases especially when you have these white teachers teaching in black spaces like that that should be even even with your black teachers like you have i think there should be a mindset check on that because sometimes we can have um oppressive um we have oppressive habits and we're just yes. re reiterating those things that you know, are damaging coming from a black person. That's probably more mm -hmm. damaging. We talked about that before. Mm -hmm. Like it'd be more damaging coming from a black teacher uh, of you really like getting like just yeah. All black skin, white mask, bro. <laughs> right, yeah, for sure. So yeah, those are the, I think the three things I would change on the teacher side or the valuing side of like definitely first and second year teacher, co-teacher, changing up your restructuring, like who's your leaders and what their roles are, and then like cultural competency piece, like that has to be mandatory. Yeah, I, don't, have... I don't think unless you get more unless you go into the change the policy of like how teachers yeah. become I guess accredited, like they, like you change we know practice is racist. But like yeah. that's a that's a barrier. Like you're not gonna get one, you're not gonna get a lot of black teachers in, in education, the money and then like just the ones that you do have like a lot of get tripped up on the practice like i hear so many people saying that they would love to be teachers especially like middle school and high school but they just that that level of practice is just it's crazy so it's like man if you can't change that you, you're going to be faced with a lot of white teachers in front of a black kid so how do you make this thing mandatory of like you have to understand your whiteness and how to how that impacts your classroom and and you're in front of all these black babies yep yeah and i think that cultural context piece um you know, that has to be ongoing. It yeah, can't be, yeah. yeah, this one time three years ago, I took my course and I'm good. Nah. Things are ongoing. <laughs> Not just one time a year, multiple times a year, let's have a check-in. We gotta have somebody who's owning this work mm -hmm. and driving that work because it can quickly become something that we did in PD and all, and that never shows up again till next year. Yep, you know what I'm saying? tap dance for this moment and I'm good. Yep, <laughs> yep. Hey, definitely. This concludes our conversation. Thanks for listening in. Uh, but before you go, guess what? Guess what? It's the book of the month. Wake up, wake up, and read up, read up. Uh, I kind of remixed that, yo. But seriously, yo, I'm, I'm about to, I'm about to flip this jingle into a single. Watch. Don't, don't, don't be a hater, man. What's up, sugar free? What's up, concrete? Man, there's some people hating out there, but I don't think they know they haters. Well, let's go on and establish what a hate is. Let's go ahead and do that. If you singing for my sack to talk, you shit behind my back. Use a hater, man. Use a hater, man. If you're looking at me wrong, cause I'm writing all these songs, use a hater, man. Use a hater, man. If I'm walking in the street and you sucking on your teeth, use a hater, man. Use a hater, man. Still my style like a crook and hating on off the hook. Use a hater, man. Use a hater, man. Man, what you know about that? Use a hater, man. Nah, but um, for real, for real. Um, the book of the month for April is Getting Stitches by Rudy Francisco. Uh, this book is a collection of poems as a way to celebrate April being National Poetry Month. 
Um, definitely some dope vibes within the poems. Uh, so definitely go check that out. It's um, Getting Stitches by Rudy Francisco. The, the link uh, to this book, it will be in the Seymour Academy bio on Instagram. So be sure to follow Seymour Academy on Insta at Seymour Academy. That's at S-E-E, More Academy. Um, so be sure to check out the book of the month. Uh, the, the, the main push is definitely to read. Uh, and for, for on a low, I'm definitely excited for looking ahead to the to May's book of the month. Um, just to give you a little glimpse, uh, May is uh, May the podcast, and May will be all about money, money May. And with that in mind, what better book to read than Poweronomics by Claude Anderson uh, to use as we could discuss how creating a strong economy within the black community um, and how that shifts the power dynamics in America. Um, so if you don't have that book, man, it's definitely, definitely, definitely a must read. Um, check that out. We will be diving into that for May's book of the month. Like I said, April's book of the month. Uh, it's a quick read. But if you want to jump ahead and get a head start on uh, May, will be Poweronomics um, by Claude Anderson. I'll add that uh, to the bio as well. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, please be sure to hit that five-star rating and subscribe if you haven't already. Also, if you enjoy listening, tell a friend. Uh, post it on your Facebook or your Instagram or whatever. Uh, definitely appreciate it uh, for you showing love and support. Um, and we'll be back with, with more fire in the next episode on April 20th. Uh, yeah, but in the meantime, stay safe. Uh, read up. Uh, stay blessed. Uh, love you. Peace.